Hi, I'm Sam Tucker from the radio show Food for Thought about veganism and animal rights. You can find me at ffttradio.wordpress.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I always like to start off by saying hello to people who, well, say hello to me. First of all, Mitch Bennett, who is a photographer. You can find his work at earthlightandcolor.com. That's color, spelt the American way, C-O-L-O-R. Absolutely no you involved. Mitch mentioned why he decided to promote veganism. Quote, After having signed and forwarded literally thousands of animal rights, environmental and social response emails to various and sundry private and government addresses from 1999 until 2006, I stopped. Then I become abolitionist. I realise that, although it won't fix everything, nothing will be fixed with any real assurances without veganism. That's when I started putting all that incomplete effort into veganism. Mitch has also linked to my blog, which I really appreciate. Second, I have Anouk, who lives in, forgive me, Sarasota, Sarasota, Florida, in the USA. She mentions meeting another New Zealand vegan, Nicola Jones, in New York, and enjoying the New Zealand accent. I'd like to say hello to Gordon, who often posts nice comments on my blog. Gordon, I'd love to know who you are and where you live in the world. Please email me, jwontdart at gmail.com. Patrick Thomas from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States also sent me an email. Patrick mentioned listening to my show, as well as every other podcast I mentioned to him. I normally suggest NZ Vegan Podcast and Sam's Food for Thought show, being from New Zealand. I really like promoting New Zealand as some kind of vegan utopia. I really want to boast of having the highest number of vegans per capita. Shouldn't be hard with only 4 million people in this entire country. If anyone has any knowledge of veganising chemicals to drop in municipal water supplies, let me know. J-A-Y-W-O-N-T-D-A-R-T at gmail.com Until then, our podcast will have to do. I also mentioned Veganacious, and hopefully there will be other abolitionist shows to promote soon. Patrick mentioned listening while at work. I know that I listen to every animal rights show I can gather onto my iPod. It makes my own menial job pleasurable. It's great that people like myself and Patrick listen to every show. It's not like television, where every show on every channel competes. There's no scheduled airtimes. The more shows promoting veganism, the better. It's great to think that there's this vegan community, all throughout the world. I'd like to talk about the effectiveness of violent videos. I'm sure most people listening have heard about, or seen the video of dairy cows being abused in Ohio. Yes, it is five o'clock. These animals are shown being stabbed and hit by farmers. The group behind the video, Mercy for Animals, mentioned visiting their website at the end. A typical PR move on these gruesome videos. I really don't understand why they won't just say, Veganism is the only way to treat animals with the respect they deserve. 
If you do see the video, and remember to visit the group's website afterwards, you will get a message that mentions veganism. Quote, Compassionate consumers can end their direct financial support of farmed animal abuse by rejecting dairy and other animal products and adopting a vegan diet. Well, that's a lot better than what most animal welfare groups would do, although you shouldn't need to visit a website to find out about veganism. It should be part of the video itself. I would assume most people who see the video will not visit the group's website, however, and will not consider veganism. Tim Gear had a very useful blog post about the video, on the turning away, violence on video. Tim mentioned how most people who see the video will believe what is shown is not typical, and that their animal products come from a humane farm. Perhaps I am alone on this issue, but I do believe that shockingly violent footage can be useful to promote veganism. I don't mean holding up large colour photos of butchered animals and chanting, Meat is murder! Meat is murder! Which is just annoying, or offensive. Instead, I think it's important for people to see, to know, what actually happens to animals when you peel away the happy meat marketing. I would never start off any talk about veganism by offering to show gory videos, but I do ask people, do you know what actually happens to the animals? I find most people who are not vegan have very little interest in learning more. They know enough that they don't want to know any more. So, that would make violent videos a very bad starting point for any serious conversations about animal rights. But for me, seeing violent videos, and by that I mean the mundane, run-of-the-mill slaughter of animals, that was what got through to me personally. This was the truth, the business end of animal agriculture. No matter what justifications I might have come up with about larger cages, seeing how young, healthy animals are killed was the final straw. I don't think it's justifiable. Now I realise that most of my vegan friends refuse to watch any more videos after seeing Earthlings. They really don't want to see any more. I am different in that way. I think I've watched seemingly every video on the internet about animal agriculture. I think it is important that I understand what I'm talking about, what really happens. It doesn't seem to affect me. I can see the colourful pixels on my iMac or iPad, and I know that there's nothing I could do to help those poor animals. I could never actually visit a slaughterhouse though. To just stand there and watch it really happen, to have the blood splash on my shoes would just be unbearable. I could never stand by and film such horrific acts as slaughter or quote, artificial insemination of dairy cows or the debeaking of chickens. But I understand some people can, and why they do it. I really don't want to see it for myself, in person, but I feel like I must know what really happens. I am not an educated person, I am lower working class, a prole, or some other label I haven't learnt, not having attended university. My family have been farmers, my family have been slaughtermen. My own father worked for a decade at the freezing works, a slaughterhouse. My mother, who I am very distant to, works with seniors, she takes them to the bathroom, as Americans might say. She showers them, cleaning up their messes. I know what it's like to quote, get your hands dirty. And many of my friends from school grow up to get a job in the real world as farmers or slaughtermen or slaughterwomen. New Zealand is heavily invested in animal agriculture. Farming, it's what we do. Almost all of our exports are to do with animal products. Southland, where I live, is a rural area known for dairy farming, hunting, duck shooting and seafood. I do feel that violent videos can be informative, although they certainly should never stand on their own, nor should they be forced upon people who refuse to watch. I care and love a family of chickens, and I know how most people feel about them, 
They might like to pet my little chicken friends, but they will go home and eat, quote, chicken, as if it's something different than my Mr. Rooster or Miss Hen friend. From watching violent videos, I know very well that it is not, in fact, a Mr. Rooster, because he would be killed on day one by being thrown in a blender. I've seen the videos of de-beaked chicks, and I know they are no different than the chicks Miss Hen cared for. They look exactly the same to my eyes. I don't see animal rights as an academic exercise like justifying free trade or alternatively protectionism. I'm damn well fine with admitting it's an emotional issue for me. My emotions tell me to be kind to other animals because I respect and admire them. I've been challenged before online, essentially, what credentials do you have to tell animal welfare experts what to do? I always have a straightforward and honest answer, absolutely no credentials. I would disagree that I need a piece of paper or a series of letters before or after my name to talk about why I care for animals. I think any small child could see that animals are friends and should not be hurt. I know I sound very immature, but I've always thought of animals as our friends. I call the chickens in my backyard chicken friends simply because I wouldn't know how else to describe them honestly. I don't think of them as pets or quote, companion animals. They are simply my friends, I like them very much and I show them respect. I also tend to call other animals Mr or Miss. I presume you can realise how I distinguish the terms, although I sometimes slip up and say it. For example, I had the silly name Miss Elephant for a New Zealand elephant, and as stupid as my name for her was, it's better than what the circus called her, starting with J. Ugh. I hate even saying it. Jumbo. She now lives at a zoo, from the looks of it behind an electric fence, but she does look much healthier than when I saw her while protesting the circus. I joined the safe protest against circus animals. I wouldn't have asked for a larger trailer for her, or for larger pens for the other animals. But on this occasion, safe are asking for a ban on all circus animals. Of course, being an elephant and worth about a million dollars, apparently, Miss Elephant was the star in the safe campaign. Nobody really mentioned the goats or dogs. Miss Elephant is meant to be sent to an elephant sanctuary overseas to finally live with other elephants. Now I don't know how I feel about protesting circus animals. I think I'd generally be against single issue campaigns and would prefer to promote veganism. That way, all animals are helped, not just the elephant. You've had to hear me talking about my feelings for long enough. I have plenty of clips to play for this episode. I think my overall theme for this episode is the line we've drawn between animals that are to be killed and those which are special, for magical reasons such as whales or dolphins, or because they are pets like cats and dogs, or rabbits. I've looked after rabbits before, and surely, not to the same extent as chickens of course, they are quite nice. But in many parts of the world, it's apparently quite common to eat rabbits. I understand people in New Zealand shoot rabbits because they see them as a pest and perhaps they have rabbit stew afterwards. But the general idea of raising rabbits to eat them is just very weird for me. I noticed a caller to the Medved show featuring Gary Francione mentioned rabbits. Hey, I, I just had a question for you. Um, Gary, do you, do you uh, actually enjoy eating meat or no meat? Or I, I haven't. Uh, actually, I used to love eating meat, Neil. Um, and I used to love eating dairy products. Uh, I... Uh, I, I didn't really particularly care for vegetables. Uh, I love them now, and it's interesting to see how many creative things you can do with them. But yeah, I did used to like it when I did eat it. I haven't eaten any animal products in almost 30 years now. Uh, I guess I guess the angle that I come from is, um, you know, man was created to uh, to eat meat, and I raised my own rabbits and 
chickens and ducks. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's just that I, I find a lot of people that don't, uh, you know, like eating meat. They th- they think it's cruel to, uh, would you say, harvest deer from the woods or me personally. I raise rabbits. I also eat them. But uh, instead of going to the butcher, I, I go directly to the source. Rabbits featured in an early Michael Moore movie, Roger and Me, as well as Pets or Meat, The Return to Flint. We meet a woman who apparently sells rabbits with a sign saying, Pets or Meat. You can either have a rabbit to love and care for, or as meat. I'm going to play part of one of the clips, I think it's from Roger and Me, although I'm not sure. I won't include the rabbit's death by being beaten with a heavy pipe. The woman is talking with Moore, and in the background we see dogs who appear to be whining. The production makes it seem as though the dogs know she is an evil woman for what she does to rabbits. She is holding an adorable looking rabbit and petting him. A few times he struggles in her arms or apparently bites her, and she complains. I'll stop before she hurts the rabbit. came out and told me that I was um, doing my rabbits in an unsanitary condition for dressing them. So now I have to build me a building where there's uh, washable walls, washable floors, and an unbreakable uh, light. I have to have a scale that weighs properly. And I have to have three sinks where I dress the rabbits. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be eaten. (laughs) It'll be our supper on the supper table. What's the matter, huh? What are you guys crying about? How do you slaughter them? Hung them upside down and stripped their fur off. And gutted them. Quit biting. And chopped their heads off. Quit it. My girlfriend out in Fenton, we uh, tan them. And we are trying to make coats and gloves and animals out of the furs. What kind of coat does rabbit fur make? A rabbit coat. <laughs> what else do you think it means? Mean, is it a nice coat? Is it warm? I don't know. We ain't made one yet. Oh, we got to so get enough furs. How many do you need? A lot. You need lots and lots and lots of furs. And right now we've only got 135 furs. Is all the rabbits I've done so far before I got in trouble. I was brought up to learn to survive if you were out in the wilderness. I personally find it very hard to imagine wanting to eat any animal now I'm vegan. I feel like I've been vegan all my life, although in reality, I've only been a strict vegan for about a year and a half now. But especially to kill an animal, to hurt an animal like a rabbit, who I see as being very firmly in the pet category, it feels even more disgusting to me. I guess it's just how you are brought up. You learn how to group animals. I think that's the main barrier to veganism, the perceptions we have about animals. That some are to be eaten or otherwise used, and others are to be respected. A big fuss was caused last week about Hugger Ginger Day. For people who are unsure about the term, Ginger is a fairly recent term for a person with auburn hair, or a redhead. Ginger. I really think it's an ugly sounding term, and it's always very offensive in my mind. I suppose worldwide people with red hair are discriminated against, as if they were obviously different from the rest of society. 
I know what it was like here in New Zealand for my red-haired friends. I don't think girls were ever bullied in the same ways as red-haired boys, who seemed to be the butt of every joke. Even at high school, people in their teenage years would mock the ginger. I remember making what I thought were well-humoured jokes until one day I decided I didn't want to tease people with so-called red hair anymore. I think it's very immature and hurtful behaviour. I apologise to anyone I remember teasing, no matter how lightly. I've always found red-haired women to be very attractive, something my friends make fun of me about. No matter what other people call redheads, I decided I didn't want to be a part of it. But, apparently, it's still very common in New Zealand to treat people differently based on the colour of their skin or hair. Hugger Ginger Day, as it was named, is promoted by a radio station, The Edge. I grew out of their programming by the time I was in my mid-teens, but the hosts are presumably in their late thirties. One Christchurch father with brown hair in particular was very concerned about this Hugger Ginger Day. He had two red-haired boys and he made an appearance on Close Up, calling it discrimination. I would agree with him. One of the radio hosts, Dom, also appeared, and he described the day as a sort of amnesty period, as if it's okay to tease people with red hair 364 days of the year, but today, you would make up for it by hugging them instead. Which, in my mind, is just another form of discrimination. All sorts of figures are thrown about. It seems every single person in this entire country with red hair ends up being hugged at least 20 times on Hugginger Day. Many are said to be hugged over a hundred times. I'd like to play a few clips. I'd like to point out that the father against Hugginger Day brought his two sons into the program. I think they were very nervous and they essentially say nothing. They froze up. This made their father look bad, but also Dom, the radio host who promotes Hugginger Day. When little red-haired children ask you to stop bullying them based on the colour of their skin or hair, you really should stop. You shouldn't pretend to be shocked. Oh, what? People make fun of you, gingers? Well, we never meant for that to happen. Especially when they are too nervous to say anything in return. Well, you yourself are a radio host who gets paid to talk. Stephen Simpson is mad as hell, angry that the Edge radio station will make his kids the targets of bullying. Stephen's kids, now you're going to meet them soon, are both red-headed, but their dad says the radio station's hugger ginger day this Friday will set them up for ridicule. It's the beginning of a national crisis, he says. Well, tonight they get to put their case direct to the Edge Morning Madhouse host, Dominic Harvey, and we've got a social psychologist to get some perspective on this. For some, it is no laughing matter. With me in the studio, Dominic Harvey, his Morning Madhouse show on the Edge is promoting their third annual Hugger Ginger Day in Christchurch, Stephen Simpson and Sons Fraser Eleven and Callum Nine, and in Wellington, social psychologist Dr. Mark Wilson. Listen, if we go straight down there to, to Christchurch, you're not happy about this, are you, Stephen? I'm not happy at all. Why? What's the what's the beef? Uh, this is a, a a program that this radio station is running, and my children are suffering because of it. Now, that's, you've got Callum and Fraser there with you. Callum, I mean, do you get a hard time at school? Yes, I do, and I don't like it. What do they say to you? Just, you're a ganger, and they aren't kind. OK, now, we've got Dominic Harvey. He's in here, the studio, with me. He's part of the, the Edge crew. They do the Morning Madness show. What do you want to say to him? Do you want to ask him some questions, either of you? Yeah. Mm. 
Okay, you go for it. Hey, boys. Hi. Hey, hey, first of all, can I say to you boys, um, we, we did not invent um, the teasing of um, people with red hair. That's been going around for centuries. Um, what we're doing is like, almost like, a, like an amnesty day, just a, a day where um, people that can maybe tease you on the other days can come up to you and say, hey, listen, you're all right, no hard feelings, are we good with it? That's, that's all it is, no, um, no malicious intent whatsoever. And by the way, Stephen, you boys are very cute. Thank you. Okay, Callum, um, you got something you want to ask? You want to ask Dominic? No. Fraser, do you have anything you want to ask the, the radio guys? Um, no. Okay. If you, if you boys want to ask for a hug, I'm prepared to give you one a couple of days early. You can beat the rush. Okay. Stephen, what do you want to know from Dominic? Yeah, um, I've got uh, a great concern for the work he's doing. Um, I don't listen to the station much, but I'm, I'm tuning in out of the website and out of necessity because I'm the father of these red-headed boys. Um, I'm concerned that the message in the programme is really anti-redhead. And if Dom, Dominique says that it's about love and amnesty, the, these questions um, confuse me. All I see it doing is it's encouraging young people to uh, develop a, a prejudice against red-headed kids. And these children are suffering because I, of the work of the edge. Yeah, hey, uh, Stephen, the name's uh, Dominic, by the way. Um, the, the, the word is hug. It's, oh, it's, it's hug a gang day, so don't it's not... You... Hey, look, don't, don't you like being called Dominic? Well, I'm not going to cry about it and go to a current affairs show, if that's what you mean. I mean, I, I did get that in school. Fine. But it's... Uh, I mean, I'm just I, I didn't know that, you. but... Okay, the point at... is, uh, you like to be called Dominic. I called you Dominic. You wanted me to call you by the name you want to be known as. So their point, uh, to my mind here, is that they want to be known as redheads, probably, not gingers. Gingers is a word that evolved recently, and it's associated with that bullying culture that surrounds it. That's the only reason I don't like it. I don't mind language evolving. I know a lot about language. It's going to happen whether I like it or not. I don't like the way it's associated with the bullying side of things. Stephen, and what you're doing leads bullying. Stephen, if they'd called it Hug a Redhead Day, would you be more comfortable with it? Uh, no. OK. Look, I want to bring in Dr Mark Wilson in. He's a, a social psychologist. Mark, I mean, how do we define discrimination or prejudice? Well, the main difference between the two is that prejudice is the, the content of the beliefs, the negative beliefs that are held about a group, um, usually on the basis of some kind of group identity. Discrimination, on the other hand, is behaviour um, towards members of that group because they are a member of that group. And to some extent, what we're talking about here is a little bit different from the sorts of things that we, we typically um, study in, in psychology, for example. There have been tens of thousands of papers which have been written about racism and sexism and other types of, of prejudice. There wouldn't even be a handful of papers which would look specifically at anti-redhead prejudice. And part of the reason for that is that New Zealand First doesn't campaign on a platform of send the redheads home. Uh, talk show radio doesn't rail against the economic impact of, of redheads. Um, and, and we very rarely hear about cases, though they may exist, of people being denied jobs on the basis of having red hair. But here we've got a dad who is concerned that his kids are going to get a hard mm -hmm. time, that the promotion will build up a, an attitude, if you like, towards, towards redheads. 
Well, to some extent, the, the, the answer to this is actually somewhere in the middle. Dominic is actually right. This kind of, you know, kids being bullied in the schoolyard uh, because they've got red hair has been around for a long time. In fact, most people who experience bullying because they're red-headed do so at school. So it's not, not necessarily something that adults engage with to the same extent. That is extent. a point, but a greater point here is that the edges work encourages people to invade my children's personal space. I don't want anybody to come up and hug me who I don't know. They're getting it 100 times a day on Fridays. That that humiliates them, it makes them feel they've got no power. And that is something that is just wrong. If they feel humiliated, it's because they're red. Red is the issue. I would say that they belong to a Celtic tribe. They are defined by the visual descriptors of red hair and not white skin, really white skin. So this is an ethnic thing. It's a race thing, it's a colour thing, and it's tantamount to racism. If you supplant the word red or ginger with any other ethnic group, they would be humiliated. They would be disgusted by that treatment. Nobody would stand up for it. Redheads are in a dominant part of society, that, in the part of society that tends to make all the plays. We are not used to hearing red, white people saying it's a racist issue. Amnesty well, for what? Well, out of, out of 365 we're, days of the year, it's one day where, where maybe kids in school and, uh, uh, you know, it's just a chance to acknowledge Genghis and say, hey, listen, you're all right. Sorry for calling you a ranger. Sorry for calling you a carrot top. Sorry for calling you ginger balls. No hard feelings. Here's a hug. I'm asking everybody tonight to say, make a decision. Do not hug a ginger. Don't use okay. the term ginger. Respect these people. Let them have what everybody else has. When they walk out the door, they don't have to think about how will people react okay. to me. In a mall, are people going to shout out, you're a ginger? Stephen. That isn't fair. That's racism. The radio host Dom managed to throw in a few terms, which I thought was really going for viewer laughs. He used the term ranger, which I only heard about recently. I've heard it's a common now. Ranger is an orangutan. Also, to even use the term ginger balls, I think that's highly inappropriate. It's not a term I'd use around little redhead boys. A poll was taken on the second appearance, and apparently, over 30,000 New Zealanders had a text message vote. At a whopping 75 cents apiece, that's about 50 cents US I guess, the show would have taken in about $24,750, all for a stupid poll. And where would that money go? Well, TVNZ, a state-owned television company, really needs the money, but still, People wasted over 20 grand when they should have been able to vote on the show's website for free. $20,000. That's enough to buy William Paul 10 MacBook Pros. Unless they are like Peter Singer, demanding 10000 each, perhaps that kind of money could bring a few overseas vegans to New Zealand for the inaugural New Zealand Abolitionist Vegan Day. The end results were 61% thought Hugger Ginger Day was good fun, 39% thought it was mean. Let's make that 60-40. I actually think that was a high turnout for the side against. It seems that people who speak out against this hugger ginger day were seen as being PC, politically correct, and trying to spoil everyone else's fun. Of course, on the day itself there was coverage of an entire ginger family. Some of the family members joked about their hair colour, but the ultimate message was the children really hated this hugger ginger day. It looks like they were truly bullied. There's a section where one of the redhead boys is hugged in front of the rest of his class by a staff member. And you can just see how embarrassed he is. Yes, they're all gingers and proud of it. Redheaded kids are special, I think, uh, and amongst the crowd. Dad Callum hails from the deep south. Redneck, redhead Southland. Hey. I'm Hayley, I'm 14 and I'm a redhead. 
Um, Cal and I used to be a, a redheaded ringer, yeah. I'm Grace, I'm ten, and I'm a ginger. But in terms of today's celebrations, the two older kids aren't so sure. Well, it's supposed to be making up for all like the names that they called us and stuff, but it just makes us more annoyed. Really? Because we don't want these random people coming up and hugging us. And that more than likely extends to the student nurse. Hey, James. We redheads have to stick together, eh? James, how was that for you, mate? A bit weird. I think it's great. I think, you know, if everyone needs hugs and if I can get a hug by being a redhead, it's all good. <laughs> but that mindset probably comes with age. Hayley's been hugged 95 times today. Sometimes they ask and sometimes they just run up and tackle you. The people that are annoying, they take advantage of it. I love your hair! Okay. <laughs> so are you looking forward to hug a ginger day next year? No. Really? I think treating people differently based primarily on hair colour is just stupid. Even if many people are proud to call themselves ginger, I don't think it's a very nice word. I find it a hateful word and I wouldn't want to use it. I think the boy's father did a terrible job when he started talking about the redhead tribe and these people as if they are vastly different, but I do agree that we shouldn't have a day where we single out people based on their hair colour. I think this is very similar to how we tend to see animals as being one of two things, pets or meat. For whatever purpose, we've invented a reason to distinguish animals. Some are to be respected, others are there to be used for our pleasure. The same with redheads, they are somehow different. With both scenarios, it seems obvious to treat all equally. All animals are equal, although chickens are more equal than the others. Just as people who are equal, regardless of hair or no hair, hair length or hair colour. And like promoting veganism, you will be mocked as being whiny if you promote equality among the hair colours. To really hammer my message through though, I have one last clip about some otters at a zoo. Two best friends who lived their whole lives together in Nelson have both died of a heart attack on the same night. They were elderly otters. It's thought the stress of one dying killed the other an hour later. Juliet Speedy reports. Zookeeper John Miller say Daz and Chip were the best of friends for 15 years. They just seem to be very playful animals. The Asian otters, both male, lived and died at Natureland Zoo in Nelson. Their company kept them going well beyond a normal otter lifespan of around 14 years. Daz was 19 and Chip 16. According to handler Gail Sutton, that's nearly 100 in human years. They were a great pair of otters. They were interested in what was happening. The pair had been unwell for a couple of weeks, but after completing treatment, they returned to their enclosure, only to be discovered dead in the morning. We were devastated and we, we couldn't work out quite what had happened with them. It brought a tear to my eye and it's making me well up now. Both died of a heart attack within an hour of each other, a second probably brought on by the stress of watching his mate die. The only consolation we have from this is that they did both go together because if, if one had gone without the other, the remaining one would have been really lost. Natureland staff hope to get new otters as part of their breeding programme once they've got over the loss of Daz and Chip. Juliet Speedy, 3 News. I do find it sad that they are just going to replace the otters, as though there's some kind of product. Yeah, this is the zoo. Send over a couple S18K Series J32s. How can we allow these exotic otters feelings of friendship 
but deny those very same emotions to cows, chickens, sheep, goats, pigs, who are all seen as just items of property. I've heard of people saying chickens are incredibly stupid, that they have essentially no intelligence. Well, I just can't imagine believing that. My little friends in the backyard live together. They talk almost non-stop. They have all their different roles and positions in the family unit. And I'm absolutely certain they love and care for each other. Some of my friends were very angry that I didn't stop them from breeding, but I'm glad they did, and not only because of the musical peeping chicks make. Like Peaceful Prairie, I now break any eggs and leave them to be eaten by the chickens. They really enjoy eating Miss Hen's eggs, which I find disgusting, but that's up to the chickens to decide. We initially were given three chickens, two female and one male. The second hen died after becoming sick. I would hate to think what would have happened if Mr. Rooster died and left Miss Hen all alone. I really do. She seems to be almost completely dependent on him. He is the main breadwinner, quite literally. He brings bread to the others. But they all love each other. I'm glad they're more than just two, in case any more are killed by cats. I really don't know how non-vegans would feel about my chickens if they would disagree that they feel true love and caring for each other. I know I've spent a lot of time around them, and there's no doubt in my mind that they have emotions. If a mainstream news channel can run a story about one otter dying naturally, and then the other, then presumably dying out of grief, why can we not admit that other animals, farm animals, also have feelings? I've said it before, and I know it's very immature, but to me, animals are friends. I see veganism as the only way of respecting all animals, and treating them as our friends. Thank you for listening to a silly, emotional episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you've listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com, or on Twitter, twitter.com slash jay W-O-N-T-D-A-R-T. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.